0: Welcome to episode 27 of the Data-Driven Security Podcast. You're listening to episode 27 of the Data-Driven Security Podcast. My name is Jay Jacobs. And I'm real Bob Rudis. (laughs) The real Bob Rudis. And uh, we have a, a... Brief show. I, I hope it's brief. Uh, a brief show today. Uh, and of course we are post-RSA and Bob,
1: you couldn't make it this year. No, there was just uh, too much stuff going on home-wise towards the end of last week that I had to be here for and yeah. I absolutely regret missing uh, all of the folks that I would normally have gotten, and I'm, I miss seeing you as well too, because I I don't, I don't get to see you a whole lot, despite your trips over here on a regular basis. Right, right,
0: yeah, and uh, you were missed as well. There were there were quite a few uh, uh, drinks raised up saying,
1: "Wish Bob was here." I I, I saw some of those tweets as well too, <laughs> and 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 Alex Pinto will pay for that. So yeah, yeah. So you did go to RSA though, and. I you know, I haven't actually talked to a whole lot of people even from my company that went to RSA. Uh, I got a little bit of a debriefing on Friday, but I am really curious as to you know what you took away from RSA this year because you were there the entire week, so you must have had some some good experiences. I was there
0: the entire week. It, it, to me it was a different feel. It seems like this is the there's a new chapter starting and, and maybe it's just because a lot of us have have left the work on at Verizon. Um, but it just seemed like a lot of people were shifting. Um, a lot of the, a lot of the people that normally would be there weren't there. You know, Alex Hutton, who I normally hang out with a lot, wasn't there and, and folks like that. And, uh, it just made a, a different feel this year. And there was a, a ton of people. I think I heard like 40,000 attendees or something like that. And so it's just a lot of people that, uh, you know, I didn't know. Um, and it's just a, a different feel, and the lack of, of data talks this year was a little little disconcerting. There were a handful, and I, I unfortunately couldn't make a lot of them, uh, a lot of commitments this week.
1: But um, you you actually were you were giving a data talk though because I I was part of a little skunkworks operation trying right. to generate some interesting things for that. How, how did the the uh the talk on our 25 years of RSA titles go
0: that was really fun being on the panel you know typically panels are odd uh, in in good cases uh you know sometimes you don't get a a rhythm going you don't get a flow and it's people talking over each other but this was organized by Wade Baker and we're going to talk about Wade a little bit later on here but um yeah, it's organized by Wade, and, and you and I helped out. What we got was 25 years of RSA titles and Alex Pinto as well. And uh, since you couldn't make it, we replaced you at the last minute with Wendy Nather of the Retail ISAC, and formerly of the 451 Group. And and I didn't know this, Bob, but Wendy uh, is on the program committee, one of the program committees for RSA. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I had yes, no yeah, idea. Yeah, so that is, was really absolutely. handy that that she was helping us out. Um, but no, it was, a, it was a really good flow though. Uh, Wade kept it going. We had slides, and uh, the slides were helping guide the conversation. You know, we'd talk about uh, sentiment analysis, which uh, which you kicked up in it originally, and um, you know, and we'd we'd talk about the sentiment over time and and things like that. The the increase of, of fear-based titles and and things like that. It was. And it was just a really nice flow, very relaxed. Uh, It was at 8 o'clock on Wednesday morning, and so there wasn't a whole lot of people there.
1: But there's a good chance that those slides are up, though, um, because I think they have most of the slides up for most of the sessions, if not all. Yeah,
0: absolutely. The slides should be up by now, I hope. And uh, it was also recorded. There were uh, cameras in the back.
1: Oh, very cool. I I have to find that now.
0: Yep, yep. So that recording should be out there, and it... um, I think I think it'll be a really nice recording. It'll be nice to go back and watch that for folks, since who couldn't get up at 8 a.m. on Wednesday morning of RSA, as as or, I,
1: or 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 who did manage to become awake, just not necessarily alive. Right,
0: right so, yeah. exactly. Yeah.
1: Now, actually, you guys have a so beyond the talk but beyond the talk slides and the potential video that that RSA might have up, you have a lasting legacy from this as well on the internet, don't you? all? Yeah,
0: there was a, a really fun thing, and that's what this podcast is going to be about. StoryCorps, uh, apparently the CEO, I believe of StoryCorps, did a, a keynote on, I believe it was Wednesday afternoon at RSA. Uh, I didn't know anything about that, but as a result of that relationship, StoryCorps had set up a booth at RSA. And for those who don't know what StoryCorps is, I believe it's StoryCorps.org, and it's like StoryCorps, uh, spelled that way. And, and what they do, um, they have nothing to do with security uh, by default, but they, they travel around and record conversations. And they record it from, from a historical perspective. And so they try to get uh, two people in a booth, and they essentially interview each other, or one person interviews the other. And it's recorded and saved off in the Library of Congress. And because of the relationship with RSA this year, they set up a booth, and they invited people from the industry to to record in this booth, and so I was asked, along with Wade Baker, who helped organize the panel on the 25 years of titles, and I worked with Wade for four years on the Data Breach Investigations Report, and we formed a interesting bond during that time, a lot of late-night uh, data uh, discussions and debates and sometimes arguments, and uh, so it was really nice to get in the booth with him and talk about our experiences and the, the the things that we went through and I had a, a really nice relaxing feel uh, going through
1: that and um, like I'm so I, I listen to StoryCorps on NPR there's every Friday they actually have a, a Storycore moment I'm on NPR. most morning edition segments and I've always been curious like so it, how big is the booth like how is the booth set up I mean maybe not everyone's interested in that but I think it's kind of interesting that they can actually set up a booth that actually has really I, you'll hear it, everybody it's really good audio quality so I'm just curious.
0: Yeah. And it, it wasn't soundproofed. It was just like a normal booth, uh, y- you know, and it was in the lobby, you know, where you go at RSA to get your badges.
1: Oh, really? Okay. Wow. Yeah, so that, was so, so that's what that background noise is. and It's basically everybody just yammering.
0: Milling and, and yammering. Yeah. And um and they, they tried to set it up to be as relaxing as possible. So they had lamps in there. They had uh, I think they had posters from RSA, you know, on the wall trying to give a feeling of artwork and things like that and and there's a table and two very comfy chairs like armchairs kind of a thing and then they had these big microphones that were right in your face and and you'd face the other person but the the microphones kind of made you very hyper aware that things were being recorded you know but they, they did a really good job at trying to make it a relaxing atmosphere because the I think those sound really good when people are relaxed
1: did you get like an mp3 or something from it we got a, a CD at the end, a what? Uh, a compact disc. Disc is that? Is that like one of them, like three point five inch floppy things?
0: Yeah, no, <laughs> no, no, no. You know, you used to get music on these uh, back in the nineties. And so, from from that disc, I asked them if we could uh, release this ourselves, do some editing, and uh, release a podcast on this. And they said, absolutely. It's you know, it's free to give away. And so Wade and I were in there for almost 40 minutes, a little over 40 minutes. And uh, I did some editing and got it down to just about 20 minutes, I believe. Uh, And there were other things that we talked about and I I tried to pick out the the real gems of the discussion that I think our readership would enjoy. And uh, we talked about our time working on the DBI and our time together. You started something, what, eight, nine years ago, right? And I think it's safe to say that anybody on this entire show floor, there's what forty thousand people at this conference or something that we're at, and anybody on this show floor who's been in the industry more than a, a year, maybe, has probably read your work. I'd like to think so. Can you can you describe how that came about and what that work is? Sure. So Jay, Jay is referring to
2: the data breach investigations report, um, and and I. Really enjoyed working with you on it. I'll say that uh, up front. So, so, in the in the same way that we've brought many different lines together, uh, sort of in our in in sounds like both of our careers, um, it was probably fifteen or so years ago. I, I became very interested in um, technology and security and sort of a blend of how how people make decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I was looking around and, and realized that there's, we, we make a lot of decisions in the technology realm that are seem to be just, I don't know, gut instinct and, and things random. like that. Yeah, random. <laughs> and, we, and we make a lot of um, assumptions that things work the way they do and they just have to work that way and this is the way we do things. Yeah. Um, and I, I think you mentioned something earlier about uh, figuring out taking it apart and figuring out how it works and, and, and that kind of thing, um, is, is always interesting to me. But, uh, yeah, so, so I I was just, uh, unhappy with the fact that if I wanted to, to make a a decision about uh, security, Hey, should I buy this or this, or should I do this or this? Not really a lot of data or information that would lead me to, to make one decision or the other. Um, so, so I started just collecting data to see, see what it would learn. And I, I mean, I, it just almost became a full-time data collector yeah. and would just grab everything from surveys to stuff people would publish to bits of information, you know, everything to try well, to. Did you like stack them up in your hallway? Like you are yes. a hoarder,
0: like you had to get a path I, to the bathroom. I thing.
2: actually did have a lot of physical, um, copies of various <laughs> things back then. But, um, and then I started to extract. Bits of information from it, and see if there were any patterns of of all right, you know, here's here this this notion of some kind of threat or hazard that that um, we needed to to worry about. To, what are various people saying about how often that occurs and mm-hmm. and things of that nature? So, uh, but all an attempt to 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 measure and and understand, and um, uh, in in work that led to some was doing some consulting and and other things at that time. But the the data breach investigations report was was a culmination of a lot of these different things, but it was there there's something that we can measure. We can when when there's a security incident and a company has a has a network intrusion and they lose data and and all of Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. It's usually a painful experience. Um, and and there's a response process and you go in and you figure out what happened you help them uh, fix it and and get back to business right Mm -hmm. and and the the company I was with at that time Verizon or actually it was Cybertrust then um, would do that they offered services around that and they would help these clients get back to business and um, but I said hey let's let's collect a certain bit of data and see if we can learn from those things and store that and look at it over time you know around, absolutely help the client
0: but around incidents right yes. breaches and things like
2: around that. around data breaches and incidents and let's just kind of see what we can learn mm-hmm. know, i think i think there's something interesting in there and um turn out there really was i mean th- we we started doing that and after even a, a a couple dozen of those you start to see patterns and things that make you think hmm i I kinda didn't expect that yeah. um, to be that way. And uh, so, so over the course of six months or a year, we decided that this could be, I think this is something worth publishing. We published the Data Breach Investigations Report in 2008. And it was a, you know, it, it hit at a time when a lot of people didn't have data and it just helped
0: um, say that I think there's a, a way we can approach security that's a bit different. And in that first year you had, what, just under 100? Breaches. Yes. And then to, to scale that, to, to talk about this, I joined four years after that, I think. Yeah. And, uh, and last year's report had over 70,000, if I remember right. I think it was 150,000. Oh, for security incidents. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's, it's grown at an enormous scale, and we had oh, 70, uh, se- over 70 partners. That's where I got the 70. Yeah. So we had over 70 partners last year contributing to that research. Your work on the, on the report uh, and the research, you had a, a quality where you saw a vision, and you, this is one of the traits that people who have worked with you know you for, that you see where things are going, and you get there. And there's times where I felt like you were standing in a field, and you, like you had a, a wooden sword, and you're facing these walls of like horse-mounted marketing people. <laughs> Who want to you know and they 've got they're fully armored and and they're coming at you saying no no let's let's compromise your report so that we can sell more so that we can we can be more flashy, we can grab more attention and and you were steadfast and you you fought against sometimes unbelievable odds to maintain the integrity and to maintain your vision do you I, do you I appreciate see that? that observation do you, um,
2: i, I don 't know if it's a quality I sort of see uh, in myself, but i i do if, if if I find something and and I believe in that message, maintaining the integrity of that message and delivering it and sharing it with others is, I, I just I, it's important to me to I I can't let somebody else ruin it and and so I think that's one of the things that you and I have both enjoyed is being able to really share that message and not let anybody mess with it. And, you know, marketing likes to message things and re-message things. Um, So I appreciate that, that and I hope to continue um,
0: that in the future. Do you have any moments that stick out for you during the last eight years working on that research?
2: I I wouldn't call it a moment as much as... um, the just the overall gratification of doing something like that. So I, yeah. I've I've been in the um, academic environment. I, my at one point in my life, I thought I wanted to do the academic route. I went to get a, a PhD at Virginia Tech, um, and some of that led to the research that you and I do together, um, even even today. Right. Um, but I have done academic research, and I've published in academic journals, and and that was satisfying. I I, I enjoy um, learning things and sharing knowledge is just part of what I like to do, Um, but but those aren't very widely read, and you don't often get to see it implemented, and so the, the, the thing that I really found gratifying about being involved in the Data Breach Investigations Report is, one... It was widely read, like you mentioned yeah. earlier. I mean, I, I, I don't like to say it because it sounds bra- uh, a little, like I'm bragging, but it hit at the right time and it was the right kind of information. I think just a lot of things happened to where almost our entire industry ha- is familiar with it and many have read it. So that's right. incredibly gratifying. I, I, I'm glad it wasn't locked away in a room and everybody ignored it. Um, but the other side that I, I find even more gratifying than that is when you get to influence positive change and impact you know i think it it shifted the way people thought about security and 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 what the real problems were you know like mm-hmm. the, i remember the first year we published it I, people were irate that the data showed that insiders internal employees weren't the the highest right. risk you know and yeah. and they almost discredited the entire research I because that, yeah. we showed that well no it looks like 80% of all incidents are external people stealing information from corporations, not not internal employees. And people, I mean, people were angry at that. Like, oh, this is, you know, this was disproved 20 years ago. We know this is false, that right. kind of thing. And, and it's kind of fun to have those arguments. But it's also fun to challenge the, the status quo and the thinking. And that's gratifying when, when your research prompts those kinds of
0: discussions. And at the time, there was the, uh, what was it, the FBI report, the FBI CSI yep. something? and they would they would put out that report and it it did show that the insiders were a bigger problem. Yeah. And since I and mean, th- since that first year just throughout every single collection effort every year we would see external higher than internal. Yeah. Which is really interesting. I know. Think. What
2: about you? What was the, I mean, you had a moment you and I have enjoyed. I know we had a lot of late nights as we were working yeah. on uh, various things together, and I feel like there were a lot of eureka moments where we were really excited, like little school children, but yeah. uh, is there
0: one that sticks out? You know, it's it's funny that there is one, and, and we should get to that, but um, talking about those late nights, there that those were such magical moments. I mean, I've heard science described as you're searching for a black cat in a dark room and you're not even sure if the cat is in the room. <laughs> and, uh, and that's what we felt like. I think every year, I know every year we would do this huge data collection effort and there was this moment of panic as like, is this data even going to work out? Are we going to see something so totally radically different that we're going to have to try and explain and understand and really like it's going to change our entire life. We have no idea what's in this data we're collecting. And so there, there were a ton of really wonderful conversations where we're trying to get through this data and understand it. And what does it mean? What is the context? What is the importance? And those are, those are special and fond memories for me. Yeah, I agree. And there was, there was one period and it was uh, in 2013 where prior, prior to that, I think a lot of what that data analysis was was counting and comparing. we would say how many, how many breaches look like this for this industry compared to this industry and, and um, things like that. And so in 2013 though, there was through discussions that you and I had, we started talking about there's, there's patterns in here. There's, there's groups of incidents that we aren't addressing properly. And prior to that, we would group it by the actions. You know, if a hacking action or, or malicious software was involved or something, that's how it was grouped. And in 2013, after the two, 2013 report came out, we started to focus on the next report almost immediately. And we started digging into the data looking for these patterns. And I remember a lot of conversations happened leading up to it, and we're doing all this cluster analysis. How do we prep the data in order to see these clusters emerge? And things like that, and we finally got to a point where we had these patterns. And I remember that the the best moment from from my time working on that research was it was about one in the morning, and I was working on this, and I, I created a visualization, which became known as Figure Nineteen, and we refer to Figure Nineteen fondly from the two thousand fourteen report that we released. And what it is, it's it's these patterns across the top, the patterns in the in the breach data. So you have things like. Things that attack point of sale or, or espionage-related corporate or denial, industry, service denial or of service. Or uh, human like errors. That, human error. Yeah. Uh, yep. Uh, lost devices, things like that. And so all of these patterns emerged from the data, and these were going across the top of this visualization. And along the side, I split out by industry to see if there was some sort of... I don't know like the 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 common knowledge is that we all apply top 20 controls right we all we should all try and focus on at least the same basic things and when i created this visualization it was about one in the morning like i said it came up on my screen and i i honestly teared up (laughs) (laughs) this visualization was probably one of the most beautiful things i think i've ever seen Because because of what
2: it meant or how it looked uh, both. <laughs> I mean,
0: like what, what, what you would expect if it's true that we should all be focusing on the same set of controls. You would expect, uh, I made a, a box and I just had squares where these two, the pattern and the industry intersected. And in that square, I just created a shade for what proportion in that industry were in that pattern. So if, if everybody had to do the same things, you would expect sort of just a uniform, grayness, right? Yeah. A uniform kind of thing. And what I found is that there were enormous differences, like some industries were just almost, you know, 80, 90% and and hospitality were point of sale breaches. And uh, so there's just these huge hotspots and that immediately said, we cannot take this one size fits all approach. And so my my initial reaction was just tears of joy. I mean, it was so beautiful. I can't even describe how beautiful that looked at at one in the morning sleep depressed. And then my second thought was actually, what if, what if I, you know, working out of my basement, we're a distributed team and working in my basement, I thought, what if my house is hit by a meteor? tonight? <laughs> if I go to sleep and it's hit by a meteor, this, this research will be lost forever. Nobody else has seen this visual. I've got to share it. And so, you know, one, one 30, 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm putting all of this together to send to you. So at least somebody else in the world has seen this. And so I got this package together and got it off to you so that in case I was hit by a meteor, this would live on.
2: I think it's funny being such a, a, a data-driven person and stati- statistician. You think a meteor
0: impact is, <laughs> is, 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 has your, your research... Uh, <laughs> at risk. (laughs) The probability was so remote, but the impact (laughs) was so high. I just had to, in case whatever happened, whatever it was, had to get that out of there. So so you mentioned
2: a bunch of things in there that I want to talk about. So you and I share a love for uh, analyzing data. And I think even, um, you know, maybe more um, abstract is just learning, right? Finding things out, a lot of people come into the security industry as that sort of challenge of figuring things out, you know, the hacker uh, type of mentality. Hacker in a positive light mentality is what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, but like that visualization, so I, I'm hearing you, you found something out that you felt was important and could change your industry, which you were passionate about. Um, um, visualization, I know I know you enjoy that as well. Is there is there sort of a blending of art and science that sort of drives you about what we do, the fact that you can make something beautiful, but it can also be meaningful and and create change and, and that kind of thing?
0: Yeah, and the, there is no difference between art and science. I, I really dislike that dichotomy. There's Anybody who studies science realizes that there's an enormous amount of creativity in there, and anybody who studies art understands that there's a whole lot of science in there. So first, that dichotomy I, I, I don't like, but absolutely, to be able to take something as complex and and in a sense scientific as as all of this data and to be able to communicate it visually to put it out so that you can get that message across I think is such a beautiful place to work yeah it's interesting you
2: you you have the view of of art and science and i i I, I share it as well I think um, but you know you mentioned you were uh, a musician at mm-hmm. one point in time and you know, a, a sort of um you would not think that a person that is a musician would be a statistician as well. But, you know, you see all the time yeah. that there is a blending of, of, of uh, music as highly mathematical. And there it are is, portions yes. of the brain that, that
0: share a lot of connections and similarities there. And Yeah. Well, the first two years studying music at, at, at a university, they put you through theory music theory yeah so essentially you're learning the science of music for the first two years and then the the second two years are trying to help you break those rules that they taught you in the first two two years right and so and i think it's the same thing in and data analysis there's a whole set of rules that they teach you and then to do really good data analysis you have to figure out how to take those rules and start to break them and not break them and violate them, but break them and extend them, take it into new territory, find out new things that this, that you can do with this data.
2: So is there something from, you know, your time as a musician, um, or completely unrelated to, to security that you've applied? I'll give an example and then you can ask, answer, answer that. But, um, I, I mentioned I was in biology and environmental mm-hmm. science. And so I had this professor, and, and he was doing a project and you know, I was eager to, to impress and that kind of thing. So he asked me if I wanted to do a special, special project. Absolutely, what is it? And, and he, he was studying whether zebra mussel infestation in lakes and, and rivers in Mississippi, which were non-native species, mm-hmm. were causing the invertebrate population in those lakes and rivers to decline because you know, they were you know, right. feeding on this and they changed the, the, the um, dynamics there. And so he had hundreds of Petri dishes of water samples. And I found out after I said yes that my job was to take those Petri dishes and count invertebrates in each of them under a macroscope. Mm-hmm. So hours and hours in a lab looking through a macroscope and tweezing out invertebrates and counting them. In classifying them. Okay. And that's a long story, but that I really do think carried over to a lot of what I do now, because I've looked at piles and piles of data and collected it just like those uh, those petri dishes were collected from river samples. And uh, right. you know I've counted and classified the, the problems that we see in our industry. And I can do that for hours on end and, and kind of enjoy it. And I yeah. so I can draw a trace from that to, to what I do now. Yeah. I mean, do you have something similar with music or something
0: else? Uh. Not really. It's always been about the learning. <laughs> no, that's just you, Wade. No, I, I don't, that sounds that's, weird. That's totally bizarre. <laughs> no, but there's, you know, I mean, like people have described data science as like the sexiest job of the 21st century or something like that. And when you get into it, there's actually not that much sexy about it. Like, you, you know what it's like. We, we've spent hours upon hours, weeks, even months slogging through this data. And, and some of it was incredibly messy. Like it's just, you know, like you're, you're like uh, I, I make the analogy to archaeology where you're digging through just mounds of dirt looking for like a broken dish, you know? Yeah. Uh, and you find like one little scrap and you're like, oh, this is so cool. And, uh, and that's what I think it's like. And then for, you got to clean maybe, it and clean very, it very and,
2: painstakingly. Yeah. And then make it pretty and put it on display. Yeah. That's a good parallel. Um, so sort of on that topic... So we have, we mentioned at the beginning, you know, it's been 20 years. You go back that far. That's the, the, the web is, is coming and, and the amount of data in the world just starts to explode. Right. And Mm -hmm. the curve is just insane. Uh, The numbers I hear of the amount of information produced on a daily basis these days is, is truly staggering. Yeah. Um, And I have felt that I am in a climate from what I do with data security um, but also data analysis, that it's just like a, like a really perfect time to, yeah. to, to be doing what we're doing. Yeah. Um, and maybe, maybe it would have been if we were doing it 50 years ago, I don't know, but it feels like that. Do you think 20 years from now, that someone would listen to this or, or look back at what we're doing and just think, wow, man, I can't believe they had to do it that way. Like, like I think about yeah. when my dad tells me about his you know cards and having to mess one up and then- The punch, punch cards. The, yes, yeah. like I can't imagine programming like that. Yes. You know, is Do you think there will the, the way that we sift through data and clean yeah. it up and prepare it and analyze it just fundamentally different 20 years from now?
0: If it's not, we've severely screwed up, <laughs> right? I mean, like if you look back to the, uh, there's a brilliant story about John Snow and, uh, and his counterpart. I can't remember his name, but they were working on the um, uh, cholera outbreaks in London yeah. trying to study them. And, and his colleague, I wish I could remember his name, wrote a paper that, where he gathered a bunch of data about these cholera ep- epidemics and published a paper. And literally he just published a table with the data points in there and just said, look at this right. table. Of course, the conclusion is this is from bad air quality, yeah. right? Because the, if you notice that the lower populations, the lower areas have worse problems. And of course, it turns out to be waterborne bacteria and water, of course, flows downhill and, and things like that. So, but I mean, early on, if we look back at his techniques, they were completely archaic. And even, you know, you take that same table and you apply modern techniques and you come out with, it's water, right? And, uh... And I hope it's the same thing, that people look back at what we're doing now and like, what what idiots? Like, why didn't they just apply these modern techniques we have?
1: Wow, so that was an actually really, really good conversation. Um, and you're right, you guys were really relaxed and i can i can just picture myself like sitting with you folks talking about that just like we used to do for the year i was doing stuff on the dbr too and it was really great to hear um you know just you guys banter about about some of that stuff in in a way that i probably haven't heard before too which is kind of cool so i think people hopefully really enjoyed that
0: yeah i hope so i hope so
1: now um it, you folks, you know, you now have a reason to go to the Library of Congress because this is going to be there, so you physically go there and you can listen to this. And you don't even have, you don't even have to bring your own headphones, which is cool.
0: Right. If, if you want to hear the whole conversation, physically travel to the Library of Congress Find this among the other thousands of recordings and listen to it in full detail.
1: Or, or just hang with Jay at RSA next year because they'll probably reenact this every single year, just, even, <laughs> even if there is no booth. So, so yeah. right. Um, and yeah. if folks also are interested, uh, there is an, the uh, the great folks that actually put together that talk at RSA on the the titles. It, they created a Markov chain bot. For Twitter from that as well, too. So we'll put a link in the show notes, but you can go to uh, so Twitter.com slash RSAC underscore CFP and be amused by how accurately, scarily accurately <laughs> the talk titles sound like actual regular RSA talk titles. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's amazing how well that uh, that Markov chain turned out. Um, so the other thing, hopefully through uh, through the week at RSA, we're going to have some uh, new guests coming on and some new topics to talk about. But if you are listening and are interested or know someone who would be interesting to have on the podcast, please reach out to us either via Twitter or uh, what's what are the Twitter handle, Bob?
1: Uh, we have Ddsec Podcast, Ddsec Book, Ddsec Blog. You, Jay Jacobs, and me, Harbor Master. So uh, there's lots and lots. It, it is lots impossible it is impossible not to find us.
0: So try to find us if you have anybody you'd like to be on the podcast or any topic you'd like covered. And with that, thanks for joining me for episode 27, Bob.
1: It was it was good to, good to actually talk to you again, Jay. Data-Driven Security Podcast is produced by Bob Rudis and Jay Jacobs and is a Creative Commons Endeavor. Feel free to syndicate the content. Just give us an act back.
0: And if you like our podcast, please visit us on your favorite podcasting service and
1: provide feedback and or rating. To submit your questions, suggest a topic, or share your experiences, please visit the topic request link on the data-driven security blog. The short link for that is dds.ec slash Q. Be sure to check out the book, Data-Driven
0: Security, anywhere fine books, perhaps obscure books, are sold.